0: Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Be glad in it. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Let's worship the Lord.
1: Who am I that the high his king would well come I was lost, but he brought me in. his love for me. Oh his love for me through the sun sets free, oh it's free. And then Oh
2: seated.
0: Please join me in prayer. Dear Father God, Jesus always had compassion on the crowds that would follow him because he saw that they were harassed and helpless and in need of a shepherd. So what did he do? He sent out his disciples into the harvest field. God, It's easy to see what the crowd's needed, and oftentimes so easy to relate to them. So many of us feel harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. God, you promise us compassion, help for the helpless, and strength for the weary. And so often, you give these gifts in the form of others who you send into our lives, workers who come into our fields. And at other times, God, you call us to be disciples and workers in the fields of others. We have your compassion when we need it and your strength to give back when we are ready. We are both the helpless at times and the workers at times. Thank you God for recognizing in each of us when we need a shepherd and providing your love and compassion for us and recognizing when we need to harvest fields for others by giving love and compassion to them in your name. We pray, God, to both accept your help when we need it and to give your help to others when we are able. Thank you for being God who sees our needs, the need for you when we are helpless and harassed, and also the call to bring compassion to the helpless and the harassed. God, you know this world is hard. Thank you for both helping us and equipping us through your love. And it is in the name of Jesus, our rabbi, at whose feet we sit, ready to be called disciples. Amen.
2: Hello. My name is Craig. I'm the worship director here at La Community Church. When you arrived, you would have received a connect card and prayer card. One, one item that has a Connect card on one side, prayer card on the other. If you have new contact information or if you're new to the church, please do fill out the Connect card so we can get in touch with you and let you know about the goings-on of the church. And if you have anyone in your life, yourself or someone else who is in need of prayer, please do fill out the prayer card and you can drop that up in the foyer so our prayer team can be praying for those needs. Thank you very much. I'd like to welcome up uh, Pastor Steve Murray. Thank you.
3: Uh, I am speechless. Uh, That music, that prayer. Uh, Do you uh, you just want to sit there quietly for like a half hour to soak in? I mean, the after effect of that is powerful. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, I won't won't take the time to go through every member of the band and give you their bio, but it's an amazing group of people, and their musicianship is superb. But what they do together to honor and glorify God is uh, profoundly transcendent, isn't it? takes us to a whole other place. And Ariane's prayer, Ariane is a professor of chemistry. I would have sworn it was a professor of poetry, literature, oratory, you know, drama. I mean, it was just a, wow. So we're pretty much done in my opinion. I'll give you a benediction. We can go back to our jammies and and drink hot stuff wherever you you are living. Uh, Thank you for being here, by the way. You people are the punctual people. Uh, We're going to have a crowd of people coming in here at about 1030 for donuts, I guess I don't know. There's not much left by the time they get here. We're done. Uh, so thank you for being with us in worship today. The National Guard is mobilizing to, you know, because this horrific weather is so overwhelming for Southern Californians. Uh, if you're if you're uh, living in the local mountains at all, you know that we've had unprecedented snow uh, and thick snow. Uh, so if you drove up to Big Bear right now, uh, whoa, it's, a, it's 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 wild. It, it, it's uh, climate change is bad, and there's other parts of it that are fascinating, and it's been happening for billions of years, so nothing new, really. We're just getting a, a, our own unique version of it. Well, we're continuing uh, uh, an exploration in the book of Matthew. We, we spent a number of weeks talking about the Beatitudes, and now we're moving on. And uh, the Beatitudes set the tone. Uh, And we're going to touch on that as we go. But we're going to say, okay, where do do these Beatitudes, these blessings, blessed are you, where do they launch us? So that's where we're going to go next. And we'll be doing that between now and Easter. And then we'll come back after Easter and continue. We'll go back and we'll backfill. So we're we're doing sort of a, we did the the Beatitudes as a core. And uh, we gave you a little bit of detail, uh, giving that context for you, the introduction of Matthew. Uh, Now we're going to do some big sections. And we're going to look at some specific passages to, to to speak to these five books of Moses that Matthew emulates. In the structure of this letter, there's an introduction and the inter- introduction is the genealogy. For us, that's sort of an odd weird opening. Uh, but I think I'd like to give you my genealogy for the next half hour just so you understand where I'm coming from. But this is how it is to open up Matthew's book and start reading this genealogy and then this Miraculous birth and you know, etc. Um, we want to be able to go back now after after Easter and say, okay, uh, the opening parts lead us into these five sections, sort of emulating the books of Moses. We're going to touch on the main ideas there, and then we're going to come back after Easter and then backfill. And say, okay, let's look at some of the specific uh, passages that construct Matthew. So. The idea is that we're going to walk away from here sometime in 2027 with um, a comprehensive sense of what was going on in Matthew's gospel. If you could only have one book in the Bible, you'd be bummed out. But almost any book in the Bible, you're going to get the whole gospel. Isn't that interesting? Old or New Testament. And in Matthew's book specifically, he's speaking to Jews. And if you understand what he's saying to Jews as a Gentile, you'll figure it out. And Luke, of course, and others are speaking to Gentiles. So this is the powerful thing that we encounter when we come into Matthew's gospel. And if reading the Bible is new to you or thinking about it is new to you, well, we're so glad you're joining the conversation. Uh, It's a lifelong conversation. And and 25 years from now, you'll have an aha moment. Oh, my gosh, I just read that thing in Matthew again that I read 25 years ago, and it's speaking to me in a fresh way. So let's trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us as we reflect on His word. And God has a word for you today. Uh, it, it might be specifically something I reference, but it's funny how in the context of, of preaching the gospel, people get messages that God wants to give them that don't necessarily come from the text or from what I say. It, it never ceases to amaze me, uh, almost not every week, but throughout the month and year, people will say, you're really speaking to me. And I said, well, thanks, what, what was it? And they say something, I go, I didn't say that. I don't say it to them. I'm just thinking, well, I didn't say that, but I'm sure glad they heard it. And that's because the Holy Spirit uh, is is alive and well when people gather in Jesus' name. And so there's a message and then there's a message to you within that message. So are you ready for the message that God wants to give you? I don't know what it is uh, but we'll trust that God will use His Word and His Holy Spirit will bring something to your heart, your mind and you'll walk out of here going, I'm so glad I got out of bed got in the car, set the clock correctly last night so that I could be in that place where you spoke to me, Lord. So here we are in Matthew 9 uh, 35 to 38. <clears throat> this is a summary of this first, I, I keep saying the books of Moses, but that's what the structure appears to be. Uh, five sections after the introduction of Matthew and before the conclusion of Matthew that look like what Moses was doing when he gave the Pentateuch, the five books. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Joshua, uh, Deuteronomy um, and Judges. And so uh, here we go. Uh, Matthew 9, 35-38. If you have a Bible, if you have a phone, or you can put your, re- your glasses on, you can see the slide. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now he's just done nine miracles in the 8, eight 9, and 10. Uh, so that's, you've seen nine miracles with some comments between uh, those miracles Uh, that's kind of set you up for this final thing in uh, what we call a chapter. It wasn't written as a chapter, but in this section. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like people driving in L.A. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we'll try to unpack that. And remember, when we, when we come to the Word of God, we always want to look at it contextually. We're looking at these specific verses. We're looking at these verses in the context of what preceded them. Uh, we look at these in the context of Matthew's book in relationship to the New Testament. And we look at this in, in terms of the New Testament in the context of the Old Testament. And so we're looking through this with cultural lenses. We're, mostly everybody here is a Gentile, and if you're a Jew who is a follower of Jesus then you understand way more than we do. Um, but we're going to see it contextually and then specifically to what is going on in the text. And of course as I said earlier, uh, we're going to walk away with a message from God in context, but speaking to our text. The, the, the story that God is writing in our lives. So the first big point of the morning would be this, Jesus proclaims, teaches, and demonstrates the good news of the kingdom. That's the big message, the first big aha moment here. Uh, Having uh, seen the, the, the opening chapters of Matthew and then the what we call the Beatitudes, the blessings, and now seeing in this first section these nine miracles, we realize, oh my gosh, Jesus is fulfilling and embodying God's promise Uh, to redeem the world. And he starts to show us what that redemption looks like in very tangible ways uh, through these miracles. People's lives really being changed. Uh, Things happening in the natural world and in the world of people that can only be explained because God is working in their midst. They start to look like, what a coincidence! And then you realize, there's no coincidence here. This is a divine appointment here. And so Jesus, we see, proclaims, teaches, and demonstrates the good news of the kingdom. Why are all those three words important? The proclamation uh, is uh, important. Here's what I want to tell you. And then the uh, teaching is, here's the content of what I want to tell you, and here's what it means, and here's what it looks like. That's the demonstration. So really, every time I get up and speak, I'm doing some version of proclamation, teaching, and demonstration. And that's what we do when we study the Word. We're saying, Lord, what are you proclaiming here? What are you teaching here? What are you demonstrating here? So there's some structural things that help us understand where God goes with every text. And and if we were to walk with any of you through your world, you'd be telling us some things. Hey, we're going to do this. Here's why I'm doing this and what it means to me. And here's the outcome that I'm hoping for. So this is a natural way of of us living and a way for us to understand the Word of God. So that's what Jesus is doing. And then we ask the question, what's the good news of the kingdom? What is the good news of the kingdom of God? We're not really privy to it. We're talking about something, and the Latin phrase is extra nos, outside of us, beyond us. We can guess. We're like the, you know, the guys around the elephant trying to figure out what it is. And we're touching parts of it saying, wow, okay, an elephant is. And then what this does is it says, let me tell you what the elephant is. God's revelation to us tells us what we couldn't otherwise have access to. But he, he invites us into the conversation by giving us content like we see in the Bible, all right? Um, So what is the good news of the kingdom? Well, it's simple, in a sense, profound, and you spend the rest of your life trying to understand it and explore all the nuances of it. But here it is, God has compassion for people. God has compassion for people. A shock, right? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, this word compassion... It's a really interesting word. It's a word that we use. It, it's a word that um, inspires a phrase that, that, that we use all the time. And we use other words for it too. But in the Greek, it's this crazy word. And it's such a crazy word, it, it describes what it's trying to describe so well. We actually have taken the word from this Greek text and we've applied it to human anatomy and internal medicine. And uh, here's what it is. The word is splanktha. And that's a normal kind of a combination of sounds. When you say S-P-L-A-N-G-T-H, or C-H in this case, and then an A, so splancha, splancha. And, uh, and then there's, you have a nerve, you have, you have some nerves that tell you what's going on in your gut. And there's specific nerves, and what do we say? I felt it in my gut. Oh, you had too much pizza. No, I had this feeling I'm in love. Well, pizza, love, it all goes together, you know. But no, what's going on is this compassion is this deep movement in you. We'd say it's from your heart. But literally, it's blanca. It's from your gut. And it's that sense of confirmation, intuitive. You know, we understand it with our mind, but we feel it in our gut. Now, some people, this is the primary way they encounter the world. We all encounter the world this way, but some people lead with this. So if you've ever done the Enneagram... Uh, some of those, any, there's, you know, those nine numbers, and uh, it's a very helpful thing. Makes no sense at one level, but then it's insanely accurate and descriptive on another. And, and w- three of those, uh, of those nine things, three of them uh, are gut-oriented. These people live out of their gut. We all live out of our gut, but some of us lead with our mind, and it's not better or worse. Everybody has to use their mind. Everybody has to feel it in their gut. If not, you're disconnected from yourself. There's a profound term in psychology called congruence. And the, the, the reason we often go to counseling is because there's, so, there's an incongruity between our inner world and the outer world. There's a problem in a relationship, and we discover that there's a problem in us. We start with, oh, that person is really bumming me out. They're the identified problem or, or victim or whatever. And we say, I'm going to go get some help to deal with them. And as soon as we sit down with somebody who's wiser than us, they say, hey, let's talk about why you are feeling that, why you are attaching meaning to that. Why you were projecting that and denying what you're feeling. and oh, oh, my gosh, I didn't come here for that. We brought the kid in to fix the kid. And the kid needs fixing. Uh, my family was going through an outrageously difficult time uh, in a particular period, like between my birth and when I left to go to college. And um, at one point, as a teenager, my poor mom was so overwhelmed with, how do I deal with the craziness in my marriage and in the family? And my son, who is the oldest kid, and it looks like he's gone off the rails, and she literally takes me down to this youth counseling center. And I'm like, I, was trying, I, I just didn't want to be there. I'm like, hey, what is going on here? And I'm thinking, well, how did I become the identified problem here? And, of course, I was part of the identified problem, uh, but it was deeper than me. So my mom drags me into this storefront youth center Anything thing um, from a little suburb of Willow Glen to downtown San Jose. She drags me and she said, you know, I, I want you to help my son. And uh, she leaves me there. And I'm going to apparently stay with these people. And this guy, you know, he gets up. His name is David Zaniga, And he gets up and he's got hair like down down to his, his rear end. And uh, uh, I look outside and I see a chopper sitting out in front Parked in front of the place. I look at him, he goes, Yeah, it's my ride. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, it, and it, it created this interesting relationship hanging out with David Zaniga and his wife. And uh, uh, craziness. It's craziness, isn't it? When we start to try to unpack why we are who we are in the world and how we perceive people and relate to people. And at some point, when you get enough maturity and wisdom, you say, let me start with me, and then I'll work it out in terms of what I'm experiencing with you. You might be the problem, but I can start with me and be sure that I'm not missing something. And this is one of the powerful things about getting counseling or about growing in knowledge and wisdom, because we're going to get there in a second. See, compassion is powerful, isn't it? But, but untutored, uninformed compassion can be really destructive. Immature compassion, belligerent compassion is just getting into other people's stuff where you shouldn't be. I'm telling you what you need because I think you need it. This is a great book called When Helping Hurts. If you haven't read When Helping Hurts, you must read this book. It's been out for probably 15, 20 years. When Helping Hurts is written by two brilliant guys, uh, two men who um, are academics, but one worked with World Vision for a long time, and, and they both worked with uh, international organizations, and they realized the Western world is awesome at trying to help, but also in ways that hurt. And they just came out, the book is brilliant because it says, hey, how do we help in ways that don't hurt? So if, 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 I was in, go, if I go to Africa, I've been to Africa many times, and they'll say, we, we want you to preach. because they want to honor me, and also they think, you must have something to say if you've come this far that we need to hear. Probably way better than the guys that are here. It, not true, but that's the impression. So I always say, you know, I've really come to hear this brother preach. I've come all the way from the United States from California to hear this brother preach. And then I'm glad to get up and, and preach, too. They're like, what? And all of a sudden, I'm there to help. But if I got up and started talking, they think, yeah, that's the guy. And, they, and who's this guy? Chopped liver. Now, what happens then is that guy, that woman, gets up and, and preaches. And people are like, yeah, yeah. You realize how great this message is from this person that I get up and that person translates for me. And my message is way better because that person is translating for me. I say, hi, I'm Steven. It's like five sentences later, they're done. And everybody's laughing and cheering. And I'm like, what did he say? You know? So you see where this goes? It's powerful when we start to, to understand that our desire to help and our desire to have compassion can be really muddled up with what our needs are, what we're trying to get, what we're trying to do. It can be a mess. Compassion, well-intended, can be a disaster. Think about that. Compassion makes life better if it's rooted in wisdom. And it's specifically in the wisdom of God. Ironically, not even a person with a, with a person with a lot of theology is necessarily wise. Uh, but any kind of compassion is better than none, even though some compassion can hurt as much as it helps. But it's way better than indifference or hostility, right? It's not my problem. Not my problem. Well, the starving people somewhere are not your problem. Whose problem are they? Bad government, certainly. Who would live in a desert? Give me a break. There's no water there. Why don't you move? Mm, Makes a lot of sense. But it is our problem because we're all connected, right? So, So Jesus was wise and compassionate. He is history's best example of having what I would call a smart heart. A smart heart. And here's what I mean by a smart heart. A smart heart is when you get IQ and EQ and SQ. That equals a smart heart. You know, IQ, intelligence, some sense of understanding how to process messages and understand them and give them. Some level of intelligence allows you to participate in a functional conversation, uh, to, to deal with basic problems with some level of capacity to understand what's going on. You all know about EQ. EQ is that emotional intelligence. EQ, we've learned so much in the last 40 years about EQ about the need for, you know, this, this intellectual stuff uh, to move from living out of your head to living out of your esplancta, Living out of your gut, living out of your heart. And then the SQ is just, I, I needed a way to talk about what, where does spiritual maturity come in here? Well, spiritual maturity is a combination of IQ and EQ. But the specific thing is it includes the revelation of God in Christ. So there must be some biblical content there. Uh, Somebody one time described this as uh, a three-legged stool. Uh, And so I'm just saying, let's make it an equation. Because lots of people say, hey, I know the Bible better than you. Phenomenal. I knew a guy who knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and somehow he was a disaster in the making. He would use the Bible as sort of a way to make you feel dumb and him smart. He would use it as a cudgel to beat you up. He wrote, a, he wrote books that would get people you know, all riled up and, and it was horrible. And I thought, wow, how can a guy that, he is a godly guy in his love for Christ. He is so out of it with his EQ. His spiritual knowledge is not the same thing as spiritual wisdom. And as much as he was a guy you could respect at one level, you wouldn't want to have a conversation with him. And in fact, I got cornered by him one time at a party. It was like the longest night of my life in five minutes. Until I had a breakthrough, a revelation from God, I could introduce him to him. <laughs> so a, a guy who <laughs> you know, who he knew and, and I knew, uh, I said, hey, have you, have you talked? He has an interesting idea. Would you like to, you know. I palmed him off. A smart heart. Does that describe Jesus? Yes, it does. Jesus had a smart heart. He knew when to hold him, when to fold him, right? Later in life, when he's being accosted and accused by... Different leaders, whether it was Herod or Caiaphas, the high priest, Herod the, the Roman, you know, representative, or Caiaphas, the priest, he was quiet. He didn't say anything. You know, he didn't. He wouldn't answer a fool in their folly. He would say things in such a way that you'd say, "What did that come from?" Well, it was this incredible combination of IQ, EQ, and SQ. That came. Wow, that came from the Father through a person who has who has emotional maturity. And who understands the world. So, I'm gonna go through everything else a lot faster than this, but I just want you to, if you understand this foundational thought, this proclamation and teaching and demonstration of the kingdom, you'll see how deep it goes. And so, if you ever hear a person treating the Word of God out of context and they're saying things that are ridiculous or hurtful, instead of saying, Well, the Bible is a book I wouldn't wanna get close to, say, Wait, wait, wait a minute. What's going on here in the messenger? You know, the messenger rule is don't shoot the messenger. Sometimes you have to invert the rule. Definitely shoot that messenger to preserve the message. I can't listen to you because you're distorting the word of God. As a new Christian, I ran into this. I'd meet people who, this group one time, they were called the children of God. And, and it turned out that they were a cult. But I was, as a young Christian, I'm accosted by these guys walking out of a concert. And, I was, and, I, and they're saying all this stuff about the Bible and about Jesus. And as a young Christian, I'm like, oh, cool, more Christians. And we start talking, and all of a sudden I realize, this is not making sense to me. This is bizarre. And I'm thinking, I, I know this much, and it sounded bizarre to me. So here I am, you know, as a new Christian, saying, you know, I don't think that makes sense. I don't think that that's what Jesus said or how he said it. I don't think that squares with this, this, and this. Because I'd, I'd been reading the Bible, I'd been deep in reading it. I didn't know that much. I was this deep, but I had read a lot of it. And so I understood contextually what was going on, and I said, that's just not it. And eventually I realized, I'm talking to people who are really uh, false prophets. I didn't know what the term was. I went back and I talked to my mentor. I said, hey, I had this experience. And he said, you were talking to false prophets. That's a cult. What's a cult? He explained it to me. I said, oh my gosh. So you see where this goes? If you don't have the IQ, EQ, SQ, you're walking, talking disaster. Disaster. This is where, why you have these conversations with well-intended people when they say, you know, when your kid died, the Lord needed him more than you needed, you needed him. They're in a better place. It was God's will. Now see, there's some truth in there. God allowed that to happen, but the way it's being interpreted for you is so contrary to God's purposes and God's character that it makes you not like this person and not want to ever trust God again. So Jesus was wise and compassionate. He had a smart heart. And I asked the question, do I have a smart heart? Do you have a smart heart? Part of the way you know you have a smart heart, you're open to input and counsel. Not even formal counsel. But you let people close enough to you to speak into your life. And you listen with discernment and humility, and you're saying, hmm, is there a message here? Or is this somebody projecting their junk on me? It's okay to say, no, I'm not agreeing with you. It's also okay to say, you know, I don't like the way you're saying it, but I agree with what you're saying. Right? So, there's all kinds of levels here. And, and so, <clears throat> how much of your time, your talent, your treasure reflects your commitment to having a smart heart? Uh, wise compassion. Are you compassionate with your children? For trying out loud, they're, let's say, eight. They're knocking the ball out of the park for an eight year old, which means it's driving everybody else crazy. An awesome four year old is like not somebody you want to spend a lot of time with. Because they're wait whoa oh, nah, the house is on fire you know the it's flooding what I walked out one time Janet was gone on a weekend with some girlfriends the girls were little and I'm you know scrambling around and, and uh, well, Lauren had something she wanted to deal with and I was, I was I was watering the back I put the hose down I go in to deal with Lauren's thing I come out Megan is standing there watering the living room with a hose on I'm like ah you know. Um, It was, a, it was a hard day <laughs> but because I wasn't managing it very well, right? So how much of your time, talent, treasure reflects your commitment to wise compassion? Hey, I think I'll turn the hose off, get Megan by the hand, and go in and help Lauren, right? that kind of thing. Uh, convenient, occasional, uh, crisis compassion is okay. If you're one of those people who you have to see pictures of starving children or have somebody harangue you and you finally pony up and you contribute uh, you like being a free rider, you like to make sure you don't have to pay anything because everybody else will pay for it possibly, get over that, grow up. Uh, it's okay because you're contributing. It's just not who you are meant to be. When we withhold compassion, we're, we're withholding our own growth in a maturity. People who think they're getting away with something are not getting away with anything. People who are stingy with their time, talent, treasure, they're not fooling anybody, especially God. They're saying, I don't want to grow, I don't need to grow. And uh, it's like if you imagine a a cartoon with an old person's head and a little baby's body. It looks funny and grotesque all at the same time. Convenient, occasional crisis compassion is good, better than nothing, but lifestyle compassion is life-changing for the person who is offering the compassion and for the person who is receiving it. This is who Jesus was. These are the people Jesus was calling. People who are hard-hearted or overly soft-hearted. And he's calling them to come together and have a smart heart. And so the harvest that he's describing, when we think of harvest, we think of a beautiful, wow, harvest, yes. But what Jesus is describing here, it's kind of weird when you stop to really think about it. It's a worldwide bumper crop of harassed and helpless people. He's saying, look, we have a surfeit, an overload. We've had a bumper crop of people who are helpless and harassed. What are we going to do about that harvest? You go, oh my gosh, this is a harvest from hell. You know, this is a horrible harvest. This is anybody's idea of a bad harvest. And so the workers in the harvest of the harassed have a seemingly impossible task before them. How do we possibly help so many harassed and harried and helpless people? You know this feeling, and that's why we call compassion fatigue. I just can't deal with it. All of us feel some level of compassion fatigue. Part of the wisdom that IQ, EQ, SQ is saying that need is not not the one I'm supposed to respond to. Jesus didn't respond to every need. Nine miracles, whoa, all of them, amazing, different kinds of miracles. Nine. There could have been 900,000 miracles, right? In fact, John tells us if we, to- if we wrote down all the miracles of Jesus, it would take volumes. But who's equal to it? What tools and techniques do you need? Ah, oh, Jesus calls us to prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. So, we lift up our hands and we say, we pray, Lord, send compassionate people into the world. And the Lord says, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thanks for stepping up and joining my crew. You go, no, wrong hand. No, I, no I, what I was suggesting is I'm praying. It said, ask the Lord to send workers. I'm asking you, Lord, to send workers. He's saying, yes, 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 you, you. I'm sending you. And you say, what, not me, Lord. I'm asking you to send others because I'm too harassed and helpless to help others. And who better to help harassed and helpless people than people who are feeling harassed and helpless? Our splunk, our gut is telling us, there's a need here, and I get it. I get it. Who are the best people to counsel alcoholics? Everybody else in AA or NA, or you pick whatever self-help group or, or therapeutic group. Why do you bring a bunch of broken people together to be in a group together. That sounds silly. Shouldn't you get one guy and one woman and have about 50 experts speaking to them? No. You get a bunch of people saying, what are you learning in your recovery? We're in recovery, but what's the discovery thing that's happening as well, right? And you have this community of compassion, not judgment. Oh, you lousy drunk. Because even when the person says, I'm a lousy drunk, or I'm a lousy drug addict, or I'm a lousy you know, abusive person, everybody else in the group goes, yeah, me too. Don't tell you know. Tell us that we don't know. You're also a child of God. You're also a beloved person. You're also a person who probably experienced that. And all of a sudden, the group that you think are the weakest, worst people in the world to be helping you are the people that are helping you. See, this is the power of praying. Lord, send workers into the harvest field. We start to get in touch with our calling. You, every one of us here, are called to be part of God's compassion in the world. And if you're motivated by guilt, so what? Start with guilt. Eventually, you'll get to grace. I did this because you guilted me into it, and now I feel like I'm compelled to do it. Ah, That's where grace is kicking in, and your grace is getting kicked out. I mean, your guilt is being kicked out. So reading Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus preparing us for our part in this. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's me. Ah, good, you have a job here then. What? I thought that was my out. No, that's your in. The Beatitudes are the in. He lists everything that we could give as excuses why we're out and we're not qualified and we have a hall pass. He's saying, that's what qualifies you. Every one of you, every one of us is qualified. So that brings us to the second point of the morning. If Jesus proclaims, teaches, and demonstrates the good news of the kingdom, this Sermon on the Mount leads directly into the Sermon on the Mission. Where do we go with the Sermon on the Mount? It's up front in, the, in Matthew's Gospel, and he's only got a limited roll of parchment So he's given some heavy, expensive real estate to the Sermon on the Mount. Why? And by the way, the Sermon on the Mount goes up all the way through chapter 7. From about 3 all the way through 7. I mean, 5 hits its peak. That's the peak listing of it. That's all the Sermon on the Mount. The rest of it is the Sermon on the Mission. And every human being receives the follow me invitation from Jesus. Some follow, many don't. Are the ones who don't smart, they're gaming the system? No, they're fools. Only the foolish try to game God. Only the, only the foolish deny God. Only the foolish are so out of it that they say, I don't need what you're trying to give me. I can't learn anything from you. Jesus, you're irrelevant to me. There's nothing, no value added, following you, obeying you, getting to know you. Maybe you're sitting here today saying, yeah, I can't really think anything that Jesus would add to my life. All right then. The Apostle John, in his first letter, First John, uh, the guy who wrote John's Gospel as well, describes Jesus in three nouns as light, life, and love. And we see Matthew doing this here in this passage. We see Jesus doing what John describes. Jesus does what he says. Jesus, the light of the world, reveals the light of God's kingdom in his teaching. Matthew sh- tells us. Jesus, the light of the world, brings the life of the life of the world brings the life of God's kingdom to make us alive in God. Jesus, the love of the world, for God so loved the world, demonstrates God's compassion for the harassed and helpless. We start to see a picture of Jesus emerge that is meant to be ultimately a picture of us. That you would be the embodiment of light and life and love in the world. When you show up, you go, oh, thank God you're here. Literally, thank God. Thank the Father, the compassionate Lord of all that you are here. God sent you. Thank you. Like the little kid said when the person showed up to save them, are you an angel? Well, kind of. Different, but I am a messenger of God telling you we're going to help you, kid. And so the the word Matthew uses, as I said, is this feeling in your gut word uh, that God has a heart for us. Authentic compassion always moves us to genuinely care. You might start wanting to care because people are watching and it gives you prestige. Lots of philanthropic uh, you know, operations are filled with people who want to be attached to good things that so it looks good to them. We don't care. You give a cup of cold water to somebody because you're looking for compliments, fine. Somebody got a cup of cold water, we're good at that. But as that person does that, hopefully what, what we start to see is they say, I get that there's a person receiving the cup of cold water and I want to know their story. And I realize now it's not about me and how awesome I am giving cold water to people. It's how worthy people are of this kind of love and regard. And I'm now humbled to be in their presence. And that's called empathy. Uh, Compassion, uh, let me back up, means to suffer with with people. Uh, I'm suffering with. My gut is involved in this. And, and, and what, if you take compassion apart, it's empathy and vulnerability. There's two parts of compassion. Empathy, I want to identify with what you're feeling. I don't want to project myself into it make it about me. I, I've known people, so have you. Uh, they are uh, the baby at every baptism. You know, or, or to back up a little bit, they're the bride at every wedding. They're the baby at every baptism and they're the, the, the deceased at every funeral. They somehow make every occasion about them. Empathy is about that person, but you're being wise. You have a smart heart. You're saying, how do I understand what they, where they are, what they're feeling? Without intruding on it, oh, I know exactly how you feel. You'll get over it. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. This is what I did. But rather, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? What does it mean to you? I know it's a lot of money that you feel compelled to give, but you're resisting. Why is that? Why do you think God's calling you to do that? Or, oh. Oh, oh, you feel like killing yourself. What's going on there? What are you feeling? When are you planning on doing it? And you go, what? So empathy allows us to enter into somebody else's reality without intruding on it, but being present to them in it. And then vulnerability uh, is us just feeling what we need to feel. It's a capacity to appropriately reveal our true feelings, our fears, and our hurts. So it's it's appropriate to say when you're talking to a broken person that, you know, I'm a broken person. So I, I, I think I get what you're going through. Not exactly it's your experience, but... I can relate to that. I have felt that feeling. I'm not sure what it's like for you to feel that feeling, but when you say that, I, can res- I resonate with that. That's me. Really? You too? Mm-hmm. Where does friendship start? C.S. Lewis says friendship starts when you meet somebody and you go, you too? You? I, I-, I thought I was the only one who thought that. I looked at the world that way. Wow, that's awesome. That's where friendships come in. Lots of wonderful people you can love. A smaller population of people you can be friends with. Because you guys resonate with each other. You have this instant empathy and vulnerability that connects you. So for whom do you have genuine empathy? And with whom are you willing to be vulnerable? Think about it right now. Who do you have empathy toward where you can enter into their pain and you're okay with it? It's inconvenient. It's painful. But you can enter into it and be there for them. Who is in your life that you can be vulnerable with, that they know what you're feeling? Uh, we had a little dog, uh, we, we, had, we had two toy poodles, I'm embarrassed in public to admit that, but um, uh, first little dog, some of you have heard me say this, Teddy ran out in front of a car, the car was going like five miles an hour, and Teddy just, timing is, was impeccable, ran out, got crunched by this car, I get a call at work, Jam- the girls with the vets, like two blocks from my office, I, we go over there, we're all crying, and and, and the girls go, Daddy, you're crying. And I said, well, yeah, I am. And, and that vulnerability that they saw in their daddy let them know that, wow, uh, strength is not crying. Strength is being able to process your deep feelings in ways that are appropriate. You know, How are you doing that with people? Do the people around you know? Now, I don't mean being a chronic complaining victim all the time. And another thing, but rather in appropriate ways, the people around you know what you're feeling and how you're experiencing life. They need to, and, and I say appropriate. In appropriate ways, do they know what you're feeling, what you're experiencing? Not to lay guilt trips on them or to receive guilt trips from them, but to identify with each other. This is part of spiritual growth. A lot of, this room is filled with people with immense IQ. This is probably a really you know, um, extreme core sample of intelligent people. The accomplishments in this room the capacities in this room the educational uh, credentials the life experiences you've had in leadership in all kinds of ways are uh, astounding in this room Uh, the eq population is is, is literally probably less sometimes people lean on iq the whole time and they have very little eq but when you start to see that your eq is expanding and now your spiritual intelligence and your spiritual wisdom and discernment is is increasing Wow, you become a person who is so set free to be appropriately empathetic and appropriately vulnerable. What happens when you are humble and and vulnerable and, and you express some level of compassion? That's called two things, credibility and authority. Credibility is I can trust you, I can believe you. You are real. You're a flawed human being, but you are real. Authority is that I will take seriously what you say to me. Does that resonate with you? This is the power of what Jesus brings and what he's talking about, what he wants to give us. And so the final point would be this. Through God's kingdom, we receive Jesus' ministry and we get to minister in his name. It's not a professional thing. Well, Steve, you're a pastor, you get paid to do this. I do. But my job, it's an inverted pyramid my job is to support you in doing the same thing my message to you is 100 percent every sermon some version of go and do likewise this is for you it's for me and it's awesome being in a relationship with the living god and figuring out that he wants to use somebody as flawed as me to achieve his purpose in the world that's intoxicating amazing it's for you too nobody's disqualified everybody's invited Wow. So we proclaim, and we teach, and we demonstrate his kingdom most effectively simply by being his apprentice. The Bible word is disciple. A disciple, a learner. And this puts us in a continual learning mode, grounded in humility, and of course, as I said, humility contributes to building credibility and authority. The most powerful people I've ever met are people who lead with humility and vulnerability and I immediately resonate uh, with their credibility and I'm very much open to their authority. I have met people, I mentioned you know, one previously, that are insanely intelligent and, and wise. Uh, and I mean, they're profoundly smart. And I've learned things from them about how to be smart. I haven't learned things from them necessarily about having a smart heart. Uh, But when I meet people who are incredibly intelligent and I notice that they also have this incredible sense of emotional intelligence and awareness of themselves and other people and that they also have spiritual depth, I'm I'm like, whoa, I want to take my shoes off. I'm standing on holy ground, right? That's supposed to be you and me. That's where God is taking you. You are that person. You can be that person to a five-year-old, to a 55-year-old, to a 95-year-old. We get to be that to each other. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. That is, open yourselves to one another out of your common reverence. We stand shoulder to shoulder saying, Lord, what are you doing and how can we participate in it? What are you teaching us? And that iron sharpens iron isn't meant to grind us down. Iron sharpens iron is a metaphor for being sharper, more ready to cut through all the BS in the world and the the craziness of the world to get to the heart uh, of people. So Jesus is God incarnate. Not everyone accepted his message, and yet he's the one calling us to go and do likewise. You go, well, I might be rejected. This might not work. It, yeah, it probably won't work a lot. It takes a willing man and a willing woman to stay in a marriage. If, if one of them isn't willing, that person can be IQ, EQ, and SQ, and somebody walks out the door anyway. So that's not a guarantee. What it is is, is a condition for the best possible outcome. You see the difference there? What are the, what are the necessary conditions for the best possible outcome? Air, food, water, right? Maslow's need hierarchy. Yeah, those are the necessary conditions. Uh, We we always feel self-actualized at the end of that. No, not not necessarily. You you still might feel muddled and deal with a bunch of baggage that you haven't come to terms with. But the point is, this is where God's leading us. And if God himself was rejected, there's a high possibility and probability that you and I will face that. So what? So What? It was worth it, wasn't it? We celebrate the worth of that every Easter. Thank God for all the stuff you had to face to go through. This is where it goes. This is where you're going. This is where you're going. We get to bring His light, His life, His love everywhere we go because we're rooted in Him and we're abiding in Him. And just as He was rejected, so we'll be rejected. Our best efforts done in the most um, you know, perfect way will we'll and can be rejected. Sometimes our most fumbling efforts, we think, oh, I'm still getting it all wrong. A person will say, you know, it's like God sent you to speak to me. Really? (laughs) All right." right. So It's not about us and our performance, it's about Him in us giving us the life to engage other peoples in that kind of life. Other people in the quality of life that only comes from God Himself. And in our fragmented, fractured way, we get to embody that. So we don't know who will receive Him, but we know and are convinced that everyone needs Him. And so like Jesus, we look for creative ways to proclaim and teach and demonstrate His kingdom. We're flawed. It's not perfect. It can get messy. You can fail. There's do overs. There's a lot of do overs. It's called apology. I'm so sorry. I think I just ran over you on that in that last encounter. I, I, I'm sorry. You know, I just reacted in a way that it was about me, not you. So, can we try this again? Or, I know it might, you might not want to trust me after what I said. If you can forgive me, uh, I, I really want to see if we can get this right. Life is a bunch of do-overs. Compassion says, I'll, I'll be compassionate toward me so that I can be more compassionate toward you. The question is, it has to be clear in us, to whom do we belong and whom are we called to serve? Do any of you remember the name George Schultz? Uh, he died a couple years ago. He lived to be 100 his last uh, service was at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. He was um, a very humble guy, actually big guy and confident, but humble, uh, quiet, profoundly effective uh, as a U.S. Secretary of State. One of the most profoundly influential people in Washington, D.C. for decades and decades and decades, and even in the world. And uh, he used to bring in every ambassador to his office, you know, they you congratulate them. They talk about all the things that were happening in whatever country they were going to, and celebrate their appointment. It's a big deal. I've known a I've known a, 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 like two or three U.S. ambassadors that are always shocked and then delighted they get to do it, and then humbled by it. Like, why me? You know? And they take it super seriously. Even the one even the like, I think one person who became a U.S. ambassador who was super flippant and all about themselves when they became an ambassador. They definitely rung that bell for everybody to know, but man, it changed the way they did things. All of a sudden, they, were, they realized, I am serving something so big, I dare not let me get in the, in the way of it. It's pretty powerful, what it does to people. But George Shultz, just to make sure that was understood, would bring people into his office, and he'd spin a globe in his office. He'd say, stop it with your finger on your country. And of course, everybody, 100% of them, would stop it on their, uh, their country. He'd say, Wrong. Wrong country. This is your country. And they go, ah, yeah. He said, we're sending you to serve this country from this country. This is your country. Here's where you get your marching orders. We're sending you to serve this place with every capacity you can to fulfill this job that you've been called to do. So it wasn't discounting where they were being sent. It was just saying, let's right-size the understanding of the relationship. That's what the kingdom of God is about. and That's what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's saying, let's pray for helpers in the harvest. Because their new country, their frame of reference, their point of origin is the kingdom of God. And they are going to serve wherever God calls them. And so... This world and everything in it belongs to Him. We are salt and light in the world. It's our privilege to be that salt and light. And when we fail at that, we say, Lord, that was a bad day. Can I get a do-over? Yes, you can. It's called forgiveness. It's part of this process of sanctification, being transformed into the very image of Christ. It doesn't happen by reading one book or going to 50 retreats. It happens because of books and retreats and interpersonal relationships and small groups, life groups, and setbacks and failures and successes that all contribute to forming you into that person who has IQ and EQ and SQ. And you don't even ever have to reference those terms, but you have inside a sense of, wow, IQ, got it. EQ, really strong. SQ, I don't know. I don't know enough. I need to re-bone up on what the Word of God says so that that will shape the other two, right? Or or whatever version of that is for you. I love this poem. I I, met, I read it, you know, so long ago. Uh, actually, actually I, I first heard it. It was a song by Phil Kage, a guy who uh, was a phenomenal, he's still alive, he's a phenomenal guitar player. And um, of whom I think Jimi Hendrix said he's one of his favorite guitar players. So it was, that's one of the public, or cultural myths, you know, but he was an amazing guy and became a follower of Jesus and he wrote a song called Portrait based on this poem. Uh, the original poem is called Indwelt, written by a woman named Beatrice Cleland. Uh, Beatrice Cleland uh, was a follower of Christ and uh, a literary person and <clears throat> trying to explain this phenomenon of being encountered by Christ and being encountered by compassionate people, she wrote this, this poem. Uh, it says, not only in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile? You know, you look like an angel. A holy light upon your brow? Oh no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. To me, it not the truth you taught, to you, so clear, to me, so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of Him. And from your eyes, He beckons me. And from your lips, His love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. This is the power of Jesus' presence in the world. This is the power of Jesus' presence in us. Have you, have you seen the ad campaign? Came, they had some of them on the, at Super Bowl. Um, he gets us, all of us. Uh, and the organization has put this out, has tried to be so low-key. Uh, if you go to the website, they're so low-key about who they are. They're not hiding anything. They're just, it's not about us, it's about him. I love it. Uh, he gets us, all of us. And there's a whole series of iterations of this. But wouldn't it be great if the way people get us is by concluding that we've been with Jesus? It would move us to write poems like Beatrice Cleland, compose songs, or to have conversations. Uh, that we speak the truth and love and reflect his compassion as we talk about his kingdom. That's what we're seeing in the first 10 chapters of Matthew's Gospel. It's what I'm seeing in you. Maybe you don't see it. I see it you know, And I hope you start to see it in you as, as, Lord, as the Lord is developing it in you I hope you're encouraged along the way I hope when you face those moments when you feel like I've failed you see it as part of the growth process, part of the learning process we all know that if you haven't failed or felt frustrated you're not really learning it's getting up and brushing off the snow or whatever it is that you're covered in and saying okay, how do I come back at this in a fresh way? God is freshly renewing you day by day to do justice. For today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it because this is the day He's giving us His compassion and releasing it through us to others. So Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. That we would continue to be that kind of person because you are that kind of Lord. You are that kind of Savior. that kind of God. You're that kind of creator and redeemer and friend. And so, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you in a fresh way as we encounter these challenging words throughout Matthew's gospel. Uh, Cryptic phrases and and deep teaching and and descriptions of things that are just so different than what we're used to. And yet so many things, Lord, that resonate with us. And so we pray, Lord, that we can be fully engaged uh, in, in our study of your word, knowing that it's your Holy Spirit that's teaching us to understand your ways. To sharpen our IQ and to develop our EQ and to bring us to a place of deep spiritual wisdom and discernment. We pray this in your high and holy name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue and wrap up worship Uh, in a time of offering. uh, You can contribute money to the church all kinds of ways. This offering is not about receiving money from you, it's about receiving your heart and you giving your heart to God, and just saying, Lord, speak to me before I leave about what you want to be doing in me. There's a little box here. You can put an offering in there. You can send it to us. Uh, There's all kinds of ways you can contribute. We appreciate all of them. Right now, this is the offering of you to Him. Let's worship the Lord together.
2: never fails me and all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up till I lay my head oh, I will say the good goodness of God, I love your voice, you have led me through the fire, the darkest night, you were close like no other, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, good
3: God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. If we can pray for you before you leave, if your body is hurting, your heart is hurting, your head is hurting, your relationships are hurting, or you know somebody who is hurting, uh, we invite you to go out around the corner to that lovely prayer garden, and there'll be people there to say, how can I pray for you? And if you don't want to say it, just say, pray for me, and they'll pray. If you have a descriptive thing for them to pray about, they will do that too. If you want to hold their hand, you can. If you just don't want them to touch you, that's fine, too. We, we just want to pray for you. Uh, and if you want to pray with them, you can pray as well. But we believe that God is calling us to pray. Not only to send workers in the harvest to be, uh, we want to see him harvest stuff in us. that will glorify him and bless people in his name. That's you. You might be right now at a place where you're saying, I don't even know if I'm up or down. That's fine. He's going to right-size you and send you out. Start where you are and let him lead you from there. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine. Give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him. In this age and stage where you are, this is where he wants to meet you both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being with us in worship today. Get something to eat or drink on your way out
2: your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running